Welcome to the Top Order podcast. Lots going on in this week in cricket for our topics today. We've got West Indies, Pakistan, some thoughts to add on New Zealand squads and plans. We've got English domestic cricket, the Royal London One Day Cup final and the 100. Wonder which one's going to get more press. We've got the Australian situation, a vote of confidence for Langer. Uh, never good in politics. What is it like in cricket? And of course, we're going to talk about the England India series with the Test Match at Lords having been wrapped up earlier this week. All coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. So Lippy, I'm going to come to you first, I think, for West Indies uh, Pakistan. Pretty exciting uh, game there. West Indies getting home by just uh, one wicket with uh, Kamar Roach and, and old Sealsy getting, uh, uh, getting the Caribbean boys home. Yeah, geez, exciting day of uh, test cricket it was on, uh, I think, Tuesday, was it? It's, uh, it's all a bit of a blur now with lockdown and stuck in our houses. But, uh, yeah, very, very exciting day of, of test cricket. And, and West Indies, just, uh, I mean, what a, what a performance. I mean, they struggled against uh, South Africa in, in recent times. Pakistan, always kind of a side that can cause a lot of problems. But, yeah, Kemar Roach, the hero with the bat. I, I saw a, a great quote from him. Uh, I think someone said, oh, have you ever done this before? You know, getting getting things home with the tail. And he said, I am the tail. So, uh, yeah, classic classic work from him. But, um, you know, I think they were 16 for three at one point. Black, uh, Jermaine Blackwood played a, an impressive counter-attacking innings. But then they were 114 for seven. Enter Kemar Roach, nine down with 17 to get. I think he, he hit a six just uh, with six to get. They hit an edge just wide of Rizwan. Went for four. You know, you just see the the fine margins of, of test cricket and it was just a, a cracker to watch. And, you know, Jaden Seals, uh, great game for him. Also, I think I think I heard that he became the youngest West Indian to take a five for as well in the same game. So, yeah, cracking, cracking game for him and, and looks a real bright prospect. We'll move a bit closer to home. Uh, but Raj, you want to come in on the West Indies first? I was going to say it's, it's good to see the West Indies putting together uh, games again. They had that blip, as Lippy mentioned, with South Africa, but a good win at home against Pakistan, which they'll need for the uh, World Test Championship. And also, just wanted to talk about Jaden Seals uh, as well. Looks like he is real, really some kind of uh, bright, shining light there for the West Indies. So, I'm um, looking forward to seeing him bowl a lot more. So, we will move a little bit closer to home. Those are those eagle died. Uh, viewers or listeners will have noticed we had a little insert into the podcast last week with the news of the New Zealand squads being announced just shortly after we recorded our last um, episode. Stu, I'll come to you first, um, not to summarise your uh, thoughts from last week, but just, uh, yeah, I guess a, a couple of points to uh, to perhaps feed in some thoughts from Raj and, and Baldy and myself as well. Yeah, well, look, I'm I mean, yeah, I think I think you guys have probably almost heard enough from me on on the squad. I think if you haven't, you can uh, any listeners can can dip back into the last one and listen to kind of the first ten minutes or so. I ran through all the squads, and I, I think no real massive surprises for me. Uh, like a lot of a uh, lot of new names getting their, their run in this Bangladesh and Pakistan series, which is now I think under a bit of doubt because of uh, you know the Taliban taking over in Afghanistan and. And all the ripple effects there, which no doubt will have some ripple effects for, for Afghanistan cricket and, and T20 World Cup sort of stuff as well. So a bit of a worry, really. But, um, you know, we don't want to dive too deeply into politics. But, uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see if you guys sort of share my thoughts. Is there anyone you guys expected to see 
in that T20 World Cup? Anyone you're kind of surprised has made it? Yeah, what do you guys think? Uh, so from the T20 World Cup perspective, I'm not too I'm not too upset. I like that they've gone with a good mix of of pace, uh, out and out pace, uh, and also with with the spinners as well. I guess my my sort of questioning was just around, uh, you know, Ross Taylor. I guess we can sort of you know this might be a bit rude of me to say it, but draw a line through him in the white ball stuff. Uh, that that's the intention that I can see here, and also uh, Henry Nichols. He's going over for the Pakistani ODIs. Uh, I thought that he might be an interesting one uh, in the shorter form as well, but he hasn't been picked in any of those 2020 sides. Uh, the other overwhelming feeling I have is with that Bangladesh 2020 squad and also the, the Pakistani ODI league is that team is just, you know, doesn't have any of our stars in it to, to an extent. Mm. Uh, uh, I guess, I'm just worried about falling into a similar trap like we like the Australians have, which I'm sure we'll go into soon. Um, but yeah, we need to we need to we need to really start building some momentum towards that T20 World Cup. Just just quickly on Taylor, it, it was announced in the in the media release that he was picked for the the one day side, but uh, they kind of decided, you know, with the quarantine and things, going over for for three ODIs, I guess probably wasn't worth it for for maybe him and for for the squad but uh, yeah i do agree it's it's then you know there's two completely different squads uh, essentially for that t20 world cup and, and for these the warm-up games that are not really warm-up games for anyone who's really playing in that top 11 but i suppose they'll be in the ipl so i don't know it was a i, I think given all the different things uh you know they've it, it means we're going to get to see some different players and i think that's probably the best thing i can take from it yeah, for, for me, Lippy, just uh, we'll come on to it a little bit later when we talk about potential changes for England. And the contrast here is that there isn't a lot of press around this bar. A couple of comments from Colin Monroe about whether or not his international career is over. And, and that's really coming from Colin Monroe, not necessarily the media. Um, not a lot of conjecture around this, which just shows what good shape New Zealand cricket's in, really, when you know what your makeup is going to be. I guess the big thing is just going to be conditions over there. So I uh, see Adam Milne is tearing up the 100 at the moment and bowling pretty quicks in there as injury cover. They've got plenty of spin options in the squad as well, which I think is you know always going to be useful. But uh, yeah, look, I guess there's a lot of water to go under a lot of bridges before we get to this T20 World Cup. Um, you know, we'll find out what the bubbles look like. We'll find out whether there's a few um, injuries off the back of the, you know, the, the fact that these guys are operating in the red zone a little bit with all, all the bubbles they're in. So I'm sure there'll be some changes, but it looks a pretty handy um, and predictable squad in, in the best way possible for the Black Caps. Can I just ask a quick question? Uh, Lippy, what do you make of Ajaz Patel? What do you think his role is going to be uh, in, in those white ball sides? I'm, I'm just interested to see what it's like. I suppose it'll probably be the Ish Sodi kind of role and that, that he uh, you know will be that sort of, uh, I, I would say he'll bowl mainly outside the power plays uh, in those games. But yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, he's he's had success in the Super Smash uh, over here in the past and then kind of just had his season wiped out with injury in, in the last 12 months or so and, and then came back for the, the test. So yeah, I'm interested to see how he goes. He's got a, um, you know, it would have been, it would have been interesting to see the, the battle if he'd have had a full season, the battle between him and Todd Astle probably for that third uh, spin spot or whether they would have gone for for another all-rounder that Todd kind of provides so yeah 
I'm 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 excited to see him get a crack because yeah, I thought he bowled really well in that uh, in that England test that he that he did get a chance and one a couple of things I will just quickly uh, point out before we move on from New Zealand a couple of small notes I guess so the Bangladesh tour um, that they've probably the the main thing to point out there is that games are starting at, at 4 p.m. local time so. So uh, that's actually 10 p.m. New Zealand time for any of our New Zealand listeners, which is a bit earlier than uh, than the Aussie series was starting. I think they're all starting at, at midnight New Zealand time, so I made it pretty tricky to watch. But hopefully, uh, if you can spare a few late nights, then uh, the Bangladesh night uh, games will be able to stick up and watch them. We've got Shane Bond joining the coaching staff for the, the T20 World Cup, which is exciting. Uh, obviously, a, a, a big friend of the, the podcast and uh, but also, you know, just whenever he's been around, particularly Trent Bolt, him and Trent Bolt seem to he just seems to get the best out of Bolt, and yeah, very excited for for him. And then uh, just one final shout out to to Molly Penfold, who's uh, joining the White Fern squad after an injury to Rosemary Mayer. Obviously, not the the best circumstances, but uh, I think all four of us had the pleasure of commentating her in the the women's T20 final here in Auckland. And, and she looks a real talent. And so, yeah, just a big shout out to her and a great opportunity to go over there and, and give a real crack. We'll cross to the other side of the world, I guess, for some news. Uh, domestic cricket, um, front and centre, at least for the next few days um, in the UK with both the Royal London uh, Cup final and also the 100 finals uh, taking place. So um, men's finalists, confirmed on one side of the draw as in the women's team for the 100 as well. So the Southern Brave in the women's final and they'll take on either the Oval Invincibles or the Birmingham Phoenix. Um, Merwin Alley's Birmingham Phoenix in the men's final against either the Southern Brave or the Trent Rockets. Interesting news coming out of the England camp that both Craig Overton and Merwin Alley released from their England duties to go and play in the 100 um, if it had been the Royal London Cup final, I doubt that that would have been um, the same um, case. So whether Overton can get his Southern Brave team into the final, but um, I'll be rooting for my hometown Birmingham boys. Have you got a little bit of an eye on the tournament, guys? A little bit of New Zealand interest? Uh, Adam Milne, Glenn Phillips, to name but a few. Yeah, look, I, I'm Birmingham Phoenix all the way for me. I've uh, I've really enjoyed watching them play, and um, you know, particularly uh, obviously the men's side. We've got the New Zealand connections with Finn Allen, who I, I think is going to be missing the final, unfortunately. Uh, but Adam Milne, it's, and I, you know, I think when we we're touching on New Zealand stuff, Adam Milne is probably the one I would say who is who does feel a little bit unlucky not to be in that squad. Just just in the sense, it's probably just conditions that have kept him out of that squad. Really, that um, you know they've gone with an extra spinner instead of an an extra seamer, but I, I've been so impressed with the way he's been so injury prone the last you know couple of years, but he's been able to put a full season together. And I guess it's almost been our, our off season almost with the, the BBL and then uh, now in the hundred and um, was over in the IPL. Didn't, you know, didn't get much of a shot over there, but look, I, I've just been super impressed with how he's bowled. He's bowling, you know, absolute bullets at, at times. And then he's got really mixing up his pace and, and just hitting the right marks. So yeah, just really excited to, see how he goes and and you know with uh Imran Tahir in that squad as well and uh, I'm sure you guys have seen his celebration after he got a hat-trick it's just uh fantastic I can't can't go past them I'll, I'll be cheering for them you know no matter what happens in that final yeah the interesting bit of trivia for me is that uh Finn Allen jetting off to Bangladesh has uh, led to the Phoenix calling up a guy who's actually got quite a few runs this year in first class cricket for Durham 
a chap called David Beddingham. He was, I think, top in the run scoring charts the first part of the county championship season. And he might be in a position where he actually plays on Thursday in the Royal London Cup final for Durham. Um, and then joins up with his uh, new Phoenix teammates the very next day. So could get two bits of silverware um, in pretty quick succession. So that was a, uh, an interesting um, point uh, for me as well. Shall we move on to Australia and Baldy? Lots going on. How bad is it when your coaches get in the vote of confidence, Baldy? It's pretty bad if you're a football club. If you're a rugby league club or, a, or an English Premier League football club, your manager getting the vote of confidence means that you can count the number of days until he's sacked. Look, I think Justin Langer's job is probably safe through to the end of the Ashes, and if Australia lose the Ashes to England on home soil, I think he'll be sacked pretty soon after that. I think the problem that we've got is that this this issue, it, it keeps on giving us lots and lots of um, podcast minutes to talk about this. But, you know, for that Australia team that's preparing for a T20 World Cup and probably the most important home tour in a long, long time um, in terms of their ashes at home with England already struggling against India at the moment, England's in disarray. We shouldn't be giving England any chance of, of rebuilding their confidence and an opportunity to, to come back into this ashes series Australia have got to get on the same page and get get on the same page quickly. But these rumours that uh, Justin Langer has lost the dressing room and that his approach to coaching uh, has got senior players and players in that Australian side uh, offside is, is just not going away. And, uh, you know, key Australian figures like Adam Gilchrist have come out and lent their take on the situation. And it's, uh, it's just not good for Australian cricket for their tilt at this T20 World Cup or for the Ashes in the 21-22 summer. But Baldy, you, you're always super diplomatic, so I am going to put you on the spot. What 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 are your thoughts? Because this is a story that's not really going away. We, you know, we've seen the documentary on um, Amazon um, where you know I think there's a sort of mixed opinion as to who comes across well and who comes across badly out of that camp there. Yeah. And you mentioned obviously former players as well. Some of them not too um, shy to be vocal around the fortunes of their national team and, and rightly so particularly if they've worn the baggy green cap themselves for a period of time but mm. what, what what's your take on it as an outsider um but probably the closest outsider looking in uh, of this little group on the top order podcast look there's no doubt about it that in 2018 that when justin langer was appointed national coach of australia australia needed a coach like justin langer to get them back on track both from a performance point of view but also from a cultural and leadership point of view australia had a real problem in their leadership both on the field and off the field around the standards and the expectations that they set for each other and I don't know where that went wrong but that went wrong somewhere and Australia needed a guy like Justin Langer to get them back on track both from a cultural point of view and from a standards point of view and it looks like he did a pretty good job of of getting Australia back on track there. In 2021 I think those senior players and and a lot of players in the squad it's starting to wear pretty thin on them Um, those exacting standards those that high level of emotion uh, is starting to wear pretty thin on what sounds like some pretty senior players in that side. And, and Lippy and, and Raj, for you guys, you, you've obviously got the American sports connection. Uh, Raj, you're our sort of um, health and well-being monitor on the podcast as well. Does that sort of hard taskmaster that, you know, it seems as if Justin Langer is really work in modern sport? And do you want to draw some comparisons for some of those world-renowned coaches and, and Lippy as well for, for you, particularly that NRL link? Health and well-being person on the podcast. That is, that's new for me, but no, I'll, I'll take it. Um, I guess with Justin Langer, he, he is that hard-nosed coach. Like like Baldy said, he came in at a horrible time. That's sort of what they needed, uh, you know, and at that time. He knows what it takes to 
be successful at a high level. We've seen him do that. He knows how to get himself up. However, he's now in the in the position where he is a coach at elite level, and you've got things like you know the standard skills that you need, the sports science, all that stuff. You need that stuff just to compete. The real secret source for winning these days is actually giving your players the best chance to have an influence on the game. Is he doing that? I, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I guess the the biggest sort of failure for me around that or that whole dynamic at the moment is he's failing to create a lot of leaders amongst the men within his squad. Uh, he came, Like I said, he came in at a horrible time, but the sort of leadership positions now that, you know, Warner, Steve Smith were gone at that time were given to guys like Tim Payne, Darcy Short, Alex Carey, Pat Cummins, and, you know, trying not to be rude, only one of those guys is probably going to be remembered, uh, you know, in, in 20, 30 years' time. Um, I, great coaches, if, if we're going to draw that sort of bow to great coaches, they know that real change, real culture, real winning or success comes from within the playing group, and I don't think that that's what has been established uh, at the moment. Um, I'll, I'll go with your NRL one just really quickly. Alan Langer is a great one for me when you look at when you look at culture or successful culture from within. He was the kind of guy that held everybody accountable. He was like, if somebody was not playing well, he'd ask for the the coach or the trainer to get them removed from the field. He didn't want them on the field if they're not going to come out here and play to the best of their ability. Uh, that's kind of what you need. I, I do have an interesting point to make, and it comes back to that um, that. Amazon series you're talking about, Binksy, Usman Kawaja. So he was one of those guys in the group that would stand up, be outspoken. He was showing a little bit at loggerheads with um, with Justin Langer, and boom, he's he's not there anymore. He's not in the playing group. Uh, I find it interesting that when's the I'll ask you a question, Baldy. When's the last time uh, you know there's there's been no vacancies in that sort of test opening spot? Gee, you'd have to go back uh, to almost Hayden and Langer, I would suggest. After that, there's always been at least one spot that's been up for grabs. Warner's nailed it down for a little bit, but there's normally one spot that's been up for grabs at least since Hayden and Langer retired. So Usman Khawaja averages 97 opening the batting for Australia in Test cricket uh, through seven innings with 200s and 250s. But I just feel like we, there's, he's getting a return. Maybe there are some ahead of him, but he's the kind of guy that, people can follow you've seen it in the Queensland Queensland dressing room Queensland sort of reports that he is the kind of guy that can that can be followed and Sydney Thunder he's, the kind as well. of guy, he's the kind of guy they got rid of you know what I mean at that time and Baldy just before we move on to the world t20 squad which has been um named um what about the backroom staff I think a lot of you know a lot of nations that have been successful recently you've kind of got that really core um, coaching group is Langer getting the support that he needs we, we've touched upon the senior player and leadership group but what, what about in terms of his backroom stuff I know they made some cuts um, I think as a result of COVID ostensibly Graham Hick was I think the batting coach and uh, lost his job um, so yeah. you know, who's around uh, Justin Langer to, to kind of help him well the challenge has been that various players have come in and out so guys like Ricky Ponting has come in and out uh, Brad Haddon was in and out there at one point um, and there have been a couple of others as well. The challenge for me is all of those guys are similar personality, similar hard taskmaster kind of people that Justin Langer is. 
the challenge that they've got is they don't have someone who's a great man manager, a great people person, for me, standing on the outside of looking at that squad, that can relate to some of those players from a, from a man management point of view. Raj, you touched on you know great renowned coaches. You think of rugby league, you think of uh, Wayne Bennett, um, Bellamy from the Melbourne Storm. You think about American sports guys like Greg Popovich, who's been around for a long time with the San Antonio Spurs, uh, Phil, um, Phil Jackson, Pat Riley. They're all hard taskmaster coaches. They set incredibly high standards for performance in their teams. There's nothing wrong with setting those standards. The challenge is that those great, great coaches understand each player as a person, as an individual, um, and that's where that's where their relationship with that player starts as an individual, not as a task-oriented coach. I think the challenge for Justin Langer that he hasn't been able to transcend that task-oriented nature that he that made him successful and that may make certain individuals successful with relating to the players as individuals so that the players know that the task is a professional thing, but the care and the, and the relationship that they have with their coach is a personal one. I think that too much of this coach relation, coach player relationship is a purely task oriented professional relationship and not enough of it is relating to the players as individuals. Darren Lehman was ostensibly great at that. He's great at that with the Brisbane Heat. He was good at that with Australia. Unfortunately, Darren Lehman had to kind of fall on his sword around that time that they were in South Africa. Um, so his job didn't survive that, that Cape Town incident. But he's the kind of guy who can relate well to players and potentially would be the person to sit in the middle, if you like, between the individuals and someone like Justin Langer who can be a little bit too intense. Baldy, we'll see how this sort of pans out. And I, I look, I think from an Englishman's perspective, any turmoil that we can see, you know, the better. Um, I think I said to you guys privately in the week, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the ashes gets cooled off um, because, look, certainly I don't want that sort of time zone um, proximity uh, for viewing uh, what I think will be a massacre of the, the England side, but we'll see that play out. World 2020 squad named as well. I'll come back to you. Any surprises? Any uh, comments that you've got on the makeup of that squad? Because selection's been a little bit inconsistent, to say the least, for Australia over the past um, little while. What does what does all that tell us about this T20 squad? Well, there's a few players that are probably unlucky to miss out. Uh, Alex Carey, Unlucky to miss out. Josh Inglis, a surprise selection for many. Not for me. He's been uh, pulling up trees in the 100. He was incredibly successful in the Big Bash last year, I think, for the Perth Scorchers, his home team. So no surprises that he'll come in as backup wicket-keeping cover and top-order cover uh, for Matthew Wade. Uh, Kane Richardson, Mitchell Swepson and, and Josh Hazelwood are all in the squad uh, outside of that kind of core 11 of players that I would expect to play pretty much every game. Uh, Manus Lubbershane uh, has missed out despite having a successful season in England. I don't think he was really ever in Australia's radar given that they've got uh, Steve Smith, Warner and Finch at the top of the order. But there's very, very little batting cover in that Australian side because they've also left out uh, both Dan Christian and Ashton Turner out of the squad. Um, also no Ben McDermott as well. So Australia are effectively going with three bats at the top of the order and then all-rounders plus a wicketkeeper from there on in. Uh, Riley Meredith uh, and uh, Daniel Sams, Joe Richardson, also the fast bowlers to miss out on that squad. Uh, Kane Richardson, Hazelwood are both in and, and looks like uh, Mitch Swepson will come in as bowling cover. So of those selections, no real surprises for me, other than perhaps Alex Carey being, uh, will probably think he was unlucky to miss out, Raj. 
a number of those guys, did they get named as reserves, like Dan Christians and Daniel Sams? I think they are. Yeah, they're, they're named as, as injury cover reserves, yeah. Do you think, so I guess the question's going to be, I, I haven't, I'm not up to date with this, are there, is the 2020 World Cup straight after the IPL on the same wickets? It's straight after the IPL in terms of tournament scheduling. It will follow mm. straight after. I'm not sure if they're going to play on the same tracks. They might leave one or two on each on each square for the T20 World Cup, but it'll be the same kind of decks. Because I do feel like even if you look at the New Zealand squad and you look at the um, the this, this Australian squad, they've left out those real speedsters. You know, those ones that we saw at the IPL that they actually, those are the ones that went for the, the big money. Um, so we might find that that might be a mistake if we find the ball is, is traveling through at night, but uh, all the indications are here that it's going to be a massive spinning world cup. And I guess that's why Swepson got his go as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Australia could play up to four spinners. If you have a look at Maxwell as well, uh, bringing the ball into the batsman, whereas Agar, uh, Adam Zampa and Mitch Swepson will all take the ball away from the right-hander. So Australia do have some options there. Um, Australia do have also Cummins and Stark who can bowl in well into the 140s as well. So we, we're not shy of pace, but we don't have an out-and-out speedster who's 150-plus like Riley Meredith. Yeah, it's funny looking at uh, all of these squads, this Australian squad, and you know we've had so much chat around uh, you know how weak it's looked at times and, uh, and how disjointed and stuff. And, but as soon as you throw some of those big guns back in there, suddenly... You know, you look at that 11 and, and you go Finch, Warner, Smith, Maxwell, and you go, well, actually, that's quite a damaging uh, top order, potentially. And then the likes of Cummins, Stark, Zampa, you know, very, very good uh, white ball bowlers. So, you know, I, I think that the, the top and the bottom of the Australian order now suddenly looks a lot stronger. That middle patch, though, is, is still the one that's that's big question marks for me with the likes of Marsh, Wade, Stoyness whether Ashton Agar is going to have to bat seven, which you've mentioned many times, Baldy, about kind of being too high. And, you know, so, yeah, a lot of, lot of for me, I think there's a lot of a lot riding on that top order to, to really pile on the runs or Australia's going to be in some trouble. Yeah, Marsh at five makes me feel a little bit happier. He's been in great form. And then you've got Stoinis and Wade probably batting at six and seven. Um, my hope is that Australia go in with four bowlers, Cummins, Stark, Zampa and Agar in most of their matches, which would give them plenty of batting depth. Stark would bat at 10 in that situation. So Australia have lots of depth uh, in the batting and that would also give them four overs from Maxwell, Stoinis and Marsh combined. So, you know, if you think about Maxwell being able to bowl at least two overs in most T20s, you only have to get one over each out of Stoinis and, and Marsh in most of those situations if you think about those other bowlers probably bowling most of their complements. So as long as all those players turn up in form and injury-free, Australia have got the team on paper to do well. My challenge is that they haven't played cricket together like New Zealand have, like some of these other sides have uh, consistently in the lead-up as a unit that will build those relationships and can help teams win the key moments. Yeah, and that's the point I was going to make, Bordy. These guys haven't played that much cricket um, together. The other thing is th this squad sort of, I guess to an extent, ignores some of the guys that have been really, really successful in your domestic tournament in the Big Bash. You know, the likes of um, Christian, uh, Daniel Sams, Jai Richardson have all had stellar um, seasons for the last probably two or three years in that domestic tournament and it's probably just showing that perhaps there is that gulf between even the what is probably the second best franchise tournament the big bash after the IPL um, and the international um, game but look I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about 
the IPL in the world 2020 coming up um, as we get a little bit closer to the tournament. But that probably wraps up this week in cricket for now. We will be back after the break to talk um, England, India um, and wrap up the podcast for this week. Stay tuned. Okay, it's never a good sign uh, when Binksy is not uh, leading into the podcast after a swish. It, it can only mean one thing. Binksy, I take it you weren't very happy with England's performance in the, in the second test. Yeah, look, I, I don't know, guys. I, I was saying to you all throughout it, and to be fair, you didn't actually indulge me too much on the Slack channel. Um, you kind of didn't, you know, you didn't bite, which was uh, which was surprising, particularly from our, our health and wellness coach. And he normally um, comes in with quite a lot of stick. For me, I, I thought I was watching a different game to most of the pundits the first couple of days when Joe Rook uh, won the test, uh, won the toss. Sorry, elected to bowl first. Look, I guess. Hindsight would say we got a first innings lead, but it still seemed quite a strange um, decision more around probably protecting the batting lineup than um, what conditions were available on that first day. Um, Didn't bowl particularly well in the first session, but you've got to give a lot of credit, I think, again, to India's openers. uh, Rohit and and Rahul um, looked a different class um, to to our two guys. Um, not uh, Not surprisingly, to be fair. And then, look, again... the. The all of the talk on that final day was, you know, have we got enough runs? You know, when you know, you know, when are we going to bowl them out? What can we chase down? I got up and thought it doesn't really matter. I think India have got enough now, and and was kind of proved right in that thinking because we, you know, we folded like a pack of cards again. Um, And Joe Root, look, I really feel for him. I I I don't know what's going on um, in between his ears, but. He took the criticism for some of those tactical decisions, rightly so, on that last uh, last day when he let you know Shami um, get fifty odds and, and Bumra, who averaged about 0.7 before, uh, got thirty odds. So um, he, he came and almost admitted that that was his fault, which you know was was good in terms of honesty. But he also got again two hundred and something runs out of whatever our complete total was. Um, I saw a stat flying around that there's only probably Bradman up there in terms of someone who scored a higher percentage of his team's runs over a prolonged um, period of time. So someone's got to stick their hand up and, and help um, Joe Root. And, and this isn't going to get any better because all we can really do is shuffle the deck chairs. And even the deck chairs we've got are still pretty shitty deck chairs at the moment. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't even get passionate on my rant. It's that bad, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I want to pull you up on one thing, though. I, I really feel like, as you say that uh, India or that England just never had a chance, you felt that they didn't have enough, you know, enough, uh, they were never going to chase down India's total, even on that, that final day. I mean, as for me, when Punt went early, Sharma goes not long after. England are definitely in the box seat in my in my books. I would have backed them all the way if it was under 200. I think it would have been a, a real test. Uh, it might have been very close. Uh, obviously, India was pumped up and they came out and bowled particularly well. But it, it was that, that first session that just completely derailed things for me rather than uh, the way that England played for the rest of that test even though I think obviously there are some flaws in, in what England has well, done. Well, if it had been 200, we'd have still lost by 80 runs, Lippe. So, 
Um, yeah, look, I, honestly, I don't think it really mattered. There's just there's no sort of belief in that side, and and it looked probably rightly so, to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, and there isn't really an answer, but um, they've made a few changes for the, for this test coming up. But look, I just yeah, we were never never at the races. I don't think from a confidence perspective or from a um, or from a skill perspective either. What about you, Raj and, and Bordy, as neutrals looking on? So I actually, I'm actually uh, in agreement with you, Binksy. I think that uh, India were actually, I felt they had enough runs at the end of day four, or enough runs in terms of they had wickets if they batted for an hour, hour and a half. In England, we're almost probably not going to try chasing it down. We saw that in the New Zealand series where they didn't really try to chase that down in the in the fifth day. So that was my kind of thinking there. Um, I guess my concern, we've, we've talked about the English batting a lot and Joe Root, uh, what, what a display of batting in that first innings. He looked incredible as he did in the first test. Um, but he just doesn't have any help. I mean, the 120 that they got in that second innings, or the you know on the last day, India bowled 29 extras in in that in that um, innings as well. They I felt they actually bowled really poorly for the first part of that innings, uh, and then they bowled outstandingly in, in the um, towards the end there. But uh, yeah, I'm actually on board with you there, Binksy. I actually think that uh, India were well placed throughout the whole of that Test match. Uh, Baldy, I'll just come to you with a question. How far do you think that England were behind the eight ball after day one? All right. Behind the eight ball at, what was it, 2.30 uh, for what were, in, what were India at the end of day 280. one? 2.70 for three, having been sent in. 276 yeah, okay. for three. Yeah. So at the end of day one, having been sent in, the opposition puts almost 280 on you for three, and Coley doesn't get 100. That's a massive, massive, massive failing for England's bowlers to to back up Joe Root's decision to to win the toss and bowl first. I mean, any time you get again, England have got Pajara, Kohli, and Rahane out for a combined total of fifty two in that first innings. So, you know, they did the hard work getting that middle order out. They're dangerous players, those three, and they've they've again dismissed the pair of the three of them for under fifty five runs. But they just couldn't get rid of Rohit. They couldn't get rid of KL Rahul, who I thought played an excellent innings on day one. We talk about those openers. Those openers' performance on day one to blunt that England attack um, and to and to get their side through to 126 without loss through the first 40 overs of that test match, that was just outstanding. I don't think England stood really much of a chance from that point on. Once that that those two openers got a 100-run partnership having been sent in, England yeah. were always fighting fighting to save the test match. And I think, you know, Joe Root is a tremendous fighter and he does a lot of work fighting to save test matches. But I don't think England were in a really good, strong position to win the test match. Even going into the final day when in- when India, you know, won, what were they, 170 well, 181 for six at the end of day four. India still had enough to put England under real pressure. And there could have really only been, in my view, one winner on day five as long as India didn't collapse. And they didn't. Um, an excellent, excellent partnership that was allowed to happen because England adopted some incredibly negative tactics. They didn't try and dismiss the tail end batsmen. They tried to intimidate them. And that works if you're Neil Wagner, but it doesn't work if you adopt the kinds of fields that England adopted that had no attacking option for those bowlers to bowl those batsmen out. Enough balls on the stumps and you will dismiss Jasper Bumrah and you will dismiss Mohamed Shami within 20 to 30 balls. 
End of story. It's happened all through their test career. If you don't bowl on the stumps, yes, you might intimidate Jasprit Bumrah a little bit and you might hit him on the helmet. Yep, absolutely. You might intimidate the guy physically, but they didn't get him out. And that's the real important failing in that tactic is that if you adopt that tactic, it has to work and it has to work quickly. If it doesn't, you leak runs and you leak runs fast. And that's the problem that England faced on day five. My um, other thing that I think that England really struggled with was I think Mark Wood carrying that injury on the, on the fifth day yeah, that's was tough. massive uh, for England. He's been incredible for them. I, I see he's been named in the test going forward, but not sure if he's going to play, but uh, he's been a massive part for them this summer. Um, Binksy, you mentioned the, the, the captaincy. I just want to talk to you about Virat Kohli's captaincy. Well, what, what, what do you think? How did, how did he go about that fifth day? And what, what did you like or not like? Uh, look, to, to me, Coley, he reminds me a lot of Ricky Ponting. I really don't like the bloke, but I've got to have a begrudging admiration for him because he really knows how to wind up an opposition team and, and often, um, you know, from a runs perspective, is a thorn in the side as well. Um, look, I think he, he played a very clever role, really, um, in that entire um, component, which is... He just sort of um, look. He was the you know he was the sort of kindling, wasn't he? Um, he he wasn't the big log burning the you know burning the fire. But look, he certainly made sure that he got the right level of oxygen and the right level of kindling into that entire um, process to wind his fast bowlers up and wind up his um, his attack dogs. Um, and look, you know, India have won that battle both from a verbal perspective and obviously also. Um, with the bat and ball as well. Lippy, I know you want to talk about him. He's, you know, you've got a poster of him on your wall, I think, above the bed. So you want to wind up on Coley? Oh, look, uh, yeah, it's, it's probably an unpopular opinion, but I I just, I, I sort of love the way he goes about things. And and that's probably just, you know, I I, I don't uh, I don't like that he's, uh, you know, there's videos emerging of him swearing and all of that kind of stuff. And obviously that's not, not ideal, but I just love that the, well, I'll caveat this with saying I hate it when he's playing against New Zealand, but anytime I'm watching him against anyone else that's not New Zealand, I just love the passion that he plays with. And you can see how much I guess it means to him to win and how much, uh, you know, how important it is that that he wants to win. And, 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 you know, I guess when I was playing cricket, I had that on the field as well. I just loved that that passion. And I was probably a different person off the on the field than I was on it as well and and i can kind of relate to that a little bit but you know the fact that he's not a good batsman anymore at least now he is performing uh as as a captain and and inspiring his players yeah i i um i completely agree with you i guess the points i wanted to make about Virat Kohli is is something that he hasn't really been given credit for throughout his career i think tactically he, he was spot on with his bowling changes he had Bumrah and Shami opened the bowling in that second innings, uh, a change from Sharma. They were up, they had their tails up, they just batted well, and they had England two for one uh, in, in the couple of overs that they bowled uh, straight after the um, declaration. He also had his fields and, and, and that declaration uh, spot on as well. I think he did a great job there. But what I find interesting is the most enduring memory I have of this test match on that fifth day is Virat Kohli carrying on like a pork chop, like you said, a little bit. Baldy's uh, there. Baldy's mentioned his aggression. Why is it okay that he does that? That's a great question um, from Baldy. I think that Virat Kohli's aggression is, is definitely 
not aimed directly at the English guys. You could see he ran away to the crowd a lot when wickets happened, not towards the batsmen. He, there was a lot of banter going back and forth between the teams. But uh, I, I think the way that he conducted himself was right on that line where he needed to be to get his team up and to and to kind of gain some ascendancy over his opposition. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you there, Raj. I think he's right on the line. When, in terms of the aggression that he brought to that fifth day of the test match and, and probably throughout his career, he he walks that line really, really finely and he, he manages pretty well to stay just on the okay side of that line. Um, I don't, you know, I, I think a lot of kids watch cricket and I don't think a lot of kids or parents of young kids would enjoy watching him swear on the cricket field and that kind of thing. But he is very aggressive. He does wear his heart on his sleeve, and you can't fault him for that. I think he just needs to you know, be a little bit careful that he doesn't get too carried away, and then he keeps himself just a little bit under control. Um, as I say, you know, you never go full Australian, um, and I think Coley's just got to watch out that he doesn't go full Coley. You know, he just needs to rein it in just a little bit, and if he's going to needle, just needle from a position of, of just kind of reining your emotions in just a fraction so that he keeps his charges in particular under control. Because we know Ishant's fiery. We know um, the Indian team can fire up and, and can get aggressive. So we just want to make sure that the test is still played in the right spirit, even if uh, India are, are taking an aggressive approach to diplomatic relations with England at this point. We'll come to Lippy next, but Bordy couldn't agree more. We just need to keep Vert Colley out of the walkabout. That, that, that'll be where the problems start, I think. Look, can I just, uh, can I just bring it back to, you know, we've talked about uh, Virat Coley's aggression and all of that stuff, but to me, the, the test got away, I said, in that, in that first morning or in that morning on day five. And I, I, I'm really interested in, in why, uh, why England got so up in arms about uh, obviously Boomer was bowling those bounces to Anderson. And it really seemed to just, to just play with their minds so much. And, and you could see it, what they were doing in that final day was trying to give it back to Boomer rather than actually worrying about winning the test. And, you know, we touched on that a little bit, but why do you, you know, why do you think that that interrupted them and, and really got in their heads so much? Yeah, look, I'm not entirely sure. I think there's a little bit of history between um, the two sides. Uh, and look, I think uh, I mentioned Coley's lieutenants before. Jadeja's been involved in a little bit of uh, um, verbal um, stashing, particularly with Anderson, I think, um, back to that 2014 series. I, I also think, you know, it's six or one half a dozen the other. And quite often the team that lose the test match are the guys that, you know, come off with the probably the worst of it. And look, I think as much as I love Jimmy Anderson, he is not shy of giving out plenty of verbals. You know, he he's a, an aggressive guy um, on the field. So look, I I actually don't see too much of, of, of a problem with it. I think both sides were probably on the line. The difference is that India were able to probably control their emotions slightly better. Um, and I think the biggest thing for England is no one seemed to help root out um, on that final morning. You would have hoped that a guy with 600 test wickets, and maybe he did, um, but you would you would have hoped that a couple of the senior players would have come up to Root and said, mate, wh why have you got more men out on the fence for Jasprit Bromwa than we did R Rishabh Pant? And why are we continuing with this ploy when every single bone in my body says, let's just get a couple of slips in and bowl fifth stump um, for 20 minutes, and, and that should do the job. And look, if it doesn't, then bring the spinner on to toss up a few or try and rough someone up. Um, they just didn't revert to plan A. 
um, quick enough. And look, only those guys on the field will know um, whether that was the emotion getting the better or whether it was a plan that they just stuck with for too long. Let's let's go back a, a little bit and um, you know maybe move to to India. You've already touched on Cal Rahul Baldy and what a, a a great job he did. And you know we've talked about Rohit Sharma and, and I I think Rohit Sharma probably hasn't he knows he hasn't piled up the scores lately, but he's actually it's sort of the stability he seems to bring to the top of that order. And and they seem to get off to a, a good start. I, I can't even remember the stat, but I think I saw some ridiculous stat about the English openers in the last few tests and, and just how quickly that first partnership has been breaking. And, and just that, I don't know, it was something that it's it, it maybe at 10 minutes or something. It was so short that, that there'd been a wicket. And whereas India, it always feels like they kind of make it a nice start, but it was, uh, I, I suppose, encouraging from an Indian point of view to see Pujara and, and Rahane both chip in with a few runs. You know, they're probably both a little bit disappointed that they didn't kick on a bit further I think if you look at the Spark Sport highlights, uh, you know, day four when they were batting, funnily enough, there's uh, there's only 12 minutes of highlights on that day and, and all the other days are 16 to 25 minutes probably because of the way Pujara was batting. But, you know, what what do we make of, of India's performance? Because I think it for me, it really felt like they galvanized themselves with that uh, emotion that was going on. And and, and that felt like a really big win for them because as much as you guys have said, look, India, England was always on the back foot. I feel like India at least felt like they were up against it on that last day and they really put in a performance that, you know, showed their dominance and, and potentially can kick them on in this series to, to win it and win it well. I think as an Indian fan, you're really impressed with how a guy like KL Rahul has come in to a spot he's not familiar with and, and taken it with both hands. Nonetheless, scoring those runs in England where we know it's hard to score runs. Then you've got uh, guys like Siraj as well, who I think he's actually overtaken Shami. He's probably done it, maybe not this test, but a while back as well. He's overtaken Shami into that third seamer spot. And he's he bowled well in Australia. He's bowled well in England, this is the sort of remit that we saw India put to themselves five or six years ago that they need to go around the world and perform. And they're starting to do that consistently, which is really important. The last point I want to make is I do feel that there's a little bit of an anomaly with the way that the Indian lower order flexed their muscle there. Uh, they did do something similar in Australia, but that was with, with Washington Chunda. Uh, they're actually, you know, having, he is uh, recognized as a batsman. Here, I think it was more some tactics that were not great and a lot of luck that they had. I don't see it happening often, um, but it worked really well for them and set up that win in the end. But I think overall, if you're an Indian supporter, you're happy that it's not Kohli going out there and dominating. It's not Bumrah going out there and dominating. It's across the board. Baldy. Yeah, well, that was a huge innings from uh, Rohit Sharma. That 83 that he made in the first innings, his highest score away from home. He averages 79.5 in uh, in 18 tests at home in India. And in 22 tests away from India, only averages 28.86. It's the biggest home away average differential in the history of test cricket by some distance. So Indian fans will be pleased that Rohit Sharma has, you know, made his... Well, he's made seven fifties away from home, but never got to a hundred. So, you know, that's huge for him to give him confidence that he can succeed in English conditions. And, you know, you're you're right, Raj. All of these Indian players are starting to step up and be counted, and it's not just 
Virat Kohli and, and Rahane doing all the hard work and Pajara doing all the hard work, all of these other players are starting to step up as well, which doesn't bode well for England's chance to come back uh, in tests three, four, and five. Binksy, on that front, England's just named their squad for, for this next test. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think uh, we've obviously seen a couple of changes? Sibley gone, Crawley gone from the squad. I, I think in Sibley's case, it just had to happen, uh, you know, that he just, just doesn't look like he's going to get any runs. But, you know, do you think that the guys that have come in, Milan, do you think he slots straight in? Yeah, look, I think he's going to have to slot straight in. If you look at the personnel um, that are there, I guess the only way they could potentially go is that Ollie Pope comes in and bats number three. Looks likely that Hamid um, will bump one up the order and bat in the spot that he started his test career in and where he's played a lot of his county cricket um, with Rory Burns. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it would be strange if they brought Milan in and he doesn't um, doesn't play. For me, I don't think they've gone far enough. On, on Sibley, he's played 22 test matches. Um, and I, I know w- this has been repeated ad infinitum, rather give a guy one test too many than, than not enough. There's some guys around, and, and one of my good, um, yeah, one of my good mates from England made a comment on one of our WhatsApp groups that, that just said, "I'd rather watch James Vince score a pretty 27 um, than watch the way that Sibley gets 27 uh, any day of the week." And and you know, someone like Vince was only really afforded, I think, 13 or 14 Test match opportunities. Um, when you compare to, to you know how much rope you know they've given to uh, to some of the other guys, I, I just find that a little bit strange. So. Um, look, I, th- I think Crawley's time will come again. I don't think um, Sibley's will. But as I said earlier on, I think it's just a case of moving the deck chairs around. So there, there weren't really um, that many options unless they went massively outside the box um, and looked maybe to this 100 tournament um, and, and kind of picked, I suppose, guys like Liam Livingston, um, Smead, who's been going pretty well for the Phoenix as well, and said, you know what, if you can play against some of these overseas bowlers, yes, it's going to be a change in mentality and mindset to come into red ball cricket versus white ball cricket. Um, but some of the best players in the world have done that pretty successfully. If you look back in you know, the not too, re- too distant past for England, Kevin Peterson uh, would be a great example of that. They just you know trusted that class was going to um, prevail as he made his way through uh, white ball cricket into red ball cricket at the expense of a couple of other guys. So, um, Bowling-wise is probably the other worry for me. Um, Baldy, I can see you itching to get in, but um, I've got a train of thought going. Um, Do you and mean look, the I, betting and the bowling is a worry for you? Oh, well, look, the batting's been a worry for a while, Raj, but the, the bowling, um, they were saying, and, and Stuart Broad, I think, made a comment that um, based on all of the, you know, the analysts and the, the strength and conditioning guys, saying that most of these bowlers now, with the amount of cricket they're playing and the bubbles that they're in, are in the, what's called red zone, so they're in danger um, of injury. Um, James Anderson, an injury doubt coming into this Lord Test match. Um, Stuart Broad, obviously out. Um, Wokes on the long-term injured list. Um, I've got to I've got to say that I think that's because he's not had enough load because he's been just carrying the drinks and been in every single bubble without really playing both one day and Red Bull for the last year or so. Um, but that injury concern to Mark Wood, Joffre Archer, Ollie Stone means we don't really have that genuine pace. So um, yeah, I think it, you know, it's a little bit of a, a right arm at medium pace with a little bit of left arm pea shooter from, from Sam Curran um, to add into the mix, which um, for me, that's also going to be a worry with, you know, still three test matches to go. I think you're a bit harsh on Sam Curran there. I think he's looked likely to move the ball about and create some, create some, a little bit of point of difference for that attack. 
I'm just mindful. I'm just really referring to his pace more than anything. Right. Yeah, yeah. He, he absolutely makes things happen. I, I, I don't doubt that. And, and I actually think he, he'll turn himself into a, a pretty decent test cricketer Jack and his Kellis. stats are comparable to others. But it, it's just all a bit samey. It's all a bit sort of 80 to 82 mile an hour without, um, you know, without someone like Mark Wood in the side. Yeah, that's probably fair. I think we just need to be careful by you know, looking towards the 100 too much. I mean, we did that with Jason Roy a few years ago and, and, and that wasn't a successful experiment. So I think you do need to have a little bit of red ball chops to be able to come into that England squad, particularly if the pressure is going to be on you from the get-go to bat for long periods of time and score runs at a decent clip. Uh, so I think we just need to be wary that we're not sort of throwing players in to that England squad that aren't set up for success. I think Hamid has got a bit of promise. I'm disappointed that Zach Crawley hasn't made enough runs uh, to keep his spot on the side. But, yeah, look, it looks like England are still searching for answers. On uh, on India then, how do we get Ashwin into this side? I really want to just see Ashwin bowl, at least in one of these tests. Can someone tell me how Ashwin can make can make this side? Because I, I don't see how you, you drop any of those seamers at the moment. If he's got an English grandmother, we'll have him. I think the only way he gets in is if there's a drought or an injury. I mean, really, that's the only reason I can see him getting into the side. If the, if the groundsman accidentally cuts all the grass off the wicket three days before the test match, I think that's the only way that India would change the makeup of a very successful bowling attack at the moment who's really got the wood on England. What about another left-hander coming in, like Milan? That might that might bring the off-spinner into play? Oh, I hope you're right, Raj. I, who, who do, I, I just want to see him bowler. You know, he's such a good bowler. We've, you know, I think we've we've all said that he's the best spinner in the world in the Test match format. I, I, I just, uh, yeah, it, it feels. It, I, I sort of feel like he should be in that side, but I just can't figure out who to leave out. Well, the thing is, England's not even picking a spinner, or they're picking Moin Ali, but they're they're not picking a, a frontline spinner. India are picking Jadeja, who is not their frontline spinner. So th- this is coming down to who's got the best pace bowlers. What are, what are the what does the outlook look like, um, uh, Binksy, for the next test pitch wise? Yeah, so they'll be playing at Headingley, so um, not really renowned for offering a massive amount to its uh, its spinners. Normally got a little bit of bounce. I don't think India are going to make a change. Why would they do anything? Um, different than roll out the you know the majority of the guys that have been successful. They might look at one of the seamers workloads, but um, it, again, it's not like it was too taxing bowling England out for 120 um, on that last day. So um, look, I think that they'll probably go in with yeah same side and same again, please. And look, I, I can't see England forcing a victory now. That they've got to be destroyed from a morale perspective and. Um, how many times can Joe Root go back to the same well and, and bail his team out? Look, if uh, maybe India uh, could go uh, do something out of the box, maybe leave out a Pujara or a Rahane and pick Javo, maybe. What do you reckon? I don't. I don't think that Coley will, will touch the batting. Uh, historically, he, he doesn't. He tends to rotate around the 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 uh, the bowlers and the um, all rounder spot. Uh, but he he is one for changing his squad. I don't have the stats in front of me, but there is some crazy stat around how he's played a different eleven, uh, a very big percentage of his of his time as captain. Well, serious talk aside, Raj. I mean, Stuart Javo, big unit. Looks like he could bowl at a reasonable clip, but. 
I'm not sure that his fitness is probably up to test standards. So even though he managed to make his way onto the field during that second test, I doubt whether he would have the longevity to put in, you know, a, a shift like Siraj did or or even, you know, Bumrah or Shami. So I don't see him playing any role uh, moving forward for India. I think they're pretty well stocked for pace bowlers. And, and that looks like he's, he's probably, yeah, 45 mile an hour, you know, pretty pretty pop gun kind of kind of player, uh, but he, he is pretty big in stature, so he could probably hit a long ball. Look, jokes aside, lads, 1-0 up after two tests, India. Have we, are we changing any of our predictions? Is anyone prepared to, to change their predictions at this point? Well, I think I'm going to have to change mine because I went 3-2, so um, that's going to be almost impossible from here. Um, but look, I can't see England getting on the board, as I, as I, as I just said. Um, and just, yeah, in closing, you know, big up uh, respect to the consummate professional Raj Reddy, not going to be drawn into um, any frivolous banter uh, when we're talking about test cricket. Um, so, yeah, for me, India, um, clean sweep as long as the weather um, continues um, to, to play ball to the extent that it has so far in that first test match notwithstanding. Well, Binksy's used his mulligan to go from 3 to to four zero, Raj. Any any update from you? Are you still happy with your series prediction? Well, I had a three two prediction earlier. Um, I think, yeah, that's probably out the window now. I think that India are really in the box seat. The biggest issue I have now is that just the England bowling stocks have just taken a real hit. If if someone like uh, Mark Wood's not going to be there, if Broad's not going to be there, uh, we know Broad's not going to be there. Um, I just I don't know how they take twenty wickets. Um, he will take 20 wickets for, for a small number versus the Indian quick bowlers. So, yeah, I, I think that uh, two, what is it, three tests ago, this could be a 4 0 here. Yeah, look, I've, I've, results have kind of gone out the window for me. I sort of feel like uh, India's really taken the upper hand. I, yeah, I, I will say that I think that test was a lot closer than, than you guys are, are making out. I really do think England had a real sniff on that final morning. And, and yeah, when Punt was dismissed I sort of thought India, uh, England was ahead like I said but you know really I'm just on Ashwin watch now I just want to see him play and maybe if uh, maybe if India take an, an unassailable lead they'll they'll give their uh, you know second stringers like Ashwin a go and I'll get to see him bowl well the 3-0 series lead after three tests I think is the only way that India will tinker with that squad I can't see it happening for me I think I had a 3-1 uh, from memory uh, that's probably still on the cards, although I really can't see where England can take a test off India at this point. So I think I'm with you guys. I think it's going to be only rain that's going to interrupt India's march to a 4-0 test series victory against England in England. Awesome. Well, guys, um, whilst it wasn't particularly enjoyable talking through that um, last segment from an English perspective, um, plenty more cricket. Um, coming up we are in lockdown here in Auckland um, New Zealand so recording remotely we will be back on your airwaves though whatever happens over the next uh, few weeks on a weekly basis we will be reinstating the um, Hall of Fame as well Um, so watch out in the feed for the next episode um, of that and please do dip back into the back catalogue as well um, particularly friend of the show, Shane Bond's done a couple of episodes um, with his recent addition to that New Zealand coaching staff. Good time to go and listen back to his thoughts on coaching and see what he's going to get out of those guys at the World um, T20. But for now, here from remote locations all around Auckland, um, stretching into the far north, um, it's good night and God bless from all of us here 
at the top of the podcast. Good night.